happened. And the liberals ran on a promise that they would change Canada's electoral system. The first past the post system would be no more. The 2015 election would be the last under that model. Uh, That was a pretty apparent broken promise. Uh, The government said they were going to do something. They got a majority government. They certainly had the ability to make that change, but then they just decided they didn't want to. And sure, once you benefited politically from a, a certain system, maybe you're less inclined to want to change it. But then I don't know that liberals paid much of a price for breaking that promise. Maybe Canadians are okay with the system as it is. It's not perfect. I don't know if any system is. But it's the one we have. The one in place federally. It's the one exists provincially across the country. First past the post, as it's known. Now, there are different ways of electing governments. I mean, we could change our entire system of government. And the U.S. does things a little bit differently. Uh, But there are other parliamentary systems that have preferential ballots or proportional representation. You know, different models that, that exist. So those are political disagreements on which we might prefer, which are better. But are there constitutional arguments? Two groups, Fair Voting BC and Springtide, based in Nova Scotia, have launched a constitutional challenge of our status quo. Joining us to talk more about why this route. Very pleased to welcome to the program uh, here this, after, or this morning, Matt Risser, uh, who's with Springtide as the uh, co-lead on the Charter Challenge. Matt, good to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Rob. I'm happy to be here. Okay, so th- this is interesting. I know there's been a, a long political debate around these issues. What, what, in your view, makes this a constitutional issue? So there are two uh, sections of the Charter under which we are uh, challenging the first-past-the-post electoral system as established in the Canada Elections Act. So one is um, Section 3 on uh, democratic rights, which guarantees every Canadian the right to vote, and then Section 15 on equality rights which guarantees the right not to be discriminated against the uh, the qualities and, and characteristics that are listed uh, therein. So with Section 3, uh, the courts have, have read into their jurisprudence and their interpretation that democratic rights mean just more than just voting. It means getting effective representation and having a voice in the deliberations of government. And we're arguing that uh, the first-past-the-post system and, and any non-proportional system really doesn't meet that standard because roughly half the population votes for MPs or votes for candidates who don't become MPs and so that they aren't effectively represented and don't have a voice. And then on Section 15, it's it's with respect to um, uh, discriminating against uh, particularly women and uh, and minorities that it makes it harder for them to be represented in Parliament um, in proportion to their percentage of the population. Okay, so let, let's back up here. So Section 3, as you mentioned, is, it involves democratic rights. Every citizen of Canada has the right to vote in an election. Members of the House yeah. of Commons or Legislative Assembly and be qualified for membership therein. So in the strict yeah. reading of that, there's not an issue with uh, first past the post. But you're talking about the kind of representation we get. So let's let's unpack that a little bit more. Because, you know, there's an argument the other way. That under a strictly proportional representation system, we don't get to elect local MLAs or local members of parliament. And and so that might also run afoul of that, that principle you speak to. So address that if you can. Yeah, so um, what I would say is many forms of proportional representation do have local representation as one of their key elements, and, and localities are represented there. But so the courts in, in various cases that have come before them on democratic rights have, have really established that 
you know, you have the right to effective representation under your democratic rights, meaningful participation in the electoral process and fair elections. And so the the um, effects of first past the post are that half the population of the country that votes doesn't get an MP they voted for. And so different voices are amplified or dampened um, depending on where they are, not just depending on all of us voting equally. So, for example, you know, conservatives um, generally get more votes than liberals in, in the national elections recently, but they've gotten fewer seats because the liberal vote is, is uh, you know, more efficient because of how the first past the post system works. Um, there are smaller national parties, the People's Party, the NDP, the Greens, who are vastly underrepresented because they're not, um, you know, geographically concentrated. And even with the major parties, there are, you know, Western and rural liberals or Eastern and urban conservatives that are underrepresented. Right. But again, you know, th- th- those seem like political arguments that would be better in a way to have those parties represented. And that, that's different, I guess, from from regional representation or even necessarily meaningful representation, because, I mean, I would argue that that in any election, you know, there are going to be parties that win and parties that lose or candidates that win and candidates that lose. Uh, or even yeah. on a, a strict yes or no kind of ballot question, there's a winning side and a losing side. So in elections, yeah. I think people have to accept that you might be with the side that loses. You might cast a vote for an issue or a candidate that is unsuccessful, and the side you didn't want to win did win. And that's just part of democracy, isn't it? It is, but it's only part of democracy when the side that wins represents 50% of the population. And that's really what we're taking on is the idea that, you know, you're getting a winning side that isn't representing um, a majority of the entire elected electorate effectively. So, you know, a PR system where 95% of people, um, it's just mathematically impossible to get to 100, but let's say 95% of people um, vote for an MP that represents them, that sits in the House, and they effectively put them in the House. Um, a majority of that is different than a majority of MPs who are elected by 50% of the population who's voting. So our cons- our qualm is that, you know, if you're not representing a majority of the full population that's voting, then you're not really representing a majority. And therefore, the effective uh, representation of all citizens compromised. Now, there are members of parliament who, who do live in, you know, so-called safe ridings and typically get yeah. above or well above 50 percent. Um, but what if then in ridings where the winning candidate didn't get 50 percent, we simply had a runoff election to ensure that every elected MP did have a 50 percent threshold? Would that address these issues? No, it wouldn't. Um, and in fact, you see that in Australia where it, it's roughly the same problem as here in Canada. It uh, it makes things slightly more effective, but not really. Um, it, you know, a runoff election is generally quite good if you're electing one office. So if you were electing, you know, a president or a speaker of the house or something like that, it, it works because then that individual in a single member election has to, uh, get a, uh, a majority of all the votes. Um, and it works if you have multi-member riding. So there are proportional systems that use a ranked ballot. But more people have an effective vote because, um, you know, the multiple people are elected per riding like in Ireland. Um, but if you're if you're just doing it for single individual constituencies all across the country, then it's it's actually not any better than first past the post. But isn't each of those races? I mean, it, it's almost like an election unto itself. It's it's electing a member of parliament is electing a, a single position. 
Yeah, and that's the problem, is the effect of that is that it leaves half the country unrepresented in Parliament. Right, so how much of this has to do then with us being a parliamentary system? Would it be different then if we were electing a president or, or a, a governor of, of a province? It really comes down to the legislature. So if we were electing a legislature that wasn't parliamentary, the same sort of rules would apply if the same constitutional guarantees were provided. But if you were electing, so what happens is everybody in a in a proportional system is elected on a basis of a quota. And it just happens that when there's only one candidate to be elected, the quota is, you know, 50% plus one. So it would apply the same way in, in the U.S. Congress or, you know, in a non-parliamentary system. So what, what remedy are you seeking here? What would be the, the potential outcome of a, a finding that our system is indeed unconstitutional? So we're not seeking any particular system. We are challenging the democratic rights. Um, we are seeking a proportional system because we believe that's the only one that can uh, meet the, uh, the uh, requirements of our constitutional rights. But um, we're just seeking a, a ruling from the courts that um, first past the post is unconstitutional and to force the government to um, create a system that meets constitutional requirements and, you know, generally gives them two years to do so. Um, right, but that, that would apply not just to the federal government, that would apply in every province? Would that apply at the municipal level? Like, how would it change politics across the country? So, uh, yeah, um, we're specifically um, bringing this case against the federal government, but I assume if it set a precedent, then that precedent could be used to argue cases against the provinces. Um, but with the democratic rights, uh, I believe the jurisprudence um, has been determine that that wouldn't apply to the municipal level because municipal levels aren't constitution at a constitutional level and so um that wouldn't apply there is my understanding but i'm not our lawyer all right so and where does this all go from here what what kind of a timeline are we on here yeah so the case is going to be heard september 25th to 27th in toronto that's when the oral arguments are um and then a decision will be rendered and we're filed we filed in the ontario superior court of justice um, and uh, after that, you know, depending on who wins and loses, it'll it'll probably go to, through the appellate process, through the Ontario Court of Appeal, and uh, possibly, and hopefully, if we're the one who is appealing to the Supreme Court of Canada. All right. Well, more on all of this. Uh, Chartered Challenge. Can I just say one other? Oh, yeah, ahead, yeah. yeah. I just want to say one other thing. Um, so that if anybody's interested, yeah, ChartedChallenge.ca. Um, you can sign up uh, to get case updates or to make a one-time or monthly donation. The case has been funded by Canadians from coast to coast to coast, and, and you know, mounting a constitutional challenge is not an inexpensive venture, so I just wanted to make sure people got the, the advertisement there. There you go. Charterchallenge.ca. Matt, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. 911 on a new night Thursday March 14th on Global stream on Stack TV